Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. As we continue in our focus on the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in the Beatitudes, we uh, are reminded that we, we see in this opening uh, part of this uh, Jesus' most concentrated and important teaching here. We see the tired of the world, the bedraggled of the world, the fed up with the world, the I have nothing to offer God people who come and gather around Jesus. You, you might remember last week we saw in verse 1, now uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, who are these crowds? We, we read about those then just in the verse before, chapter 4, verse 25, that large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, and Judea, and the region across the Jordan, came and followed Jesus. And who were they? They were those who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, these having seizures and the paralyzed. And Jesus healed them, the Bible says. These are the ones who, who come and, and get this. What is really good news is that God is offering and opening His kingdom to those who recognize that they need God in their life. Those who recognize the importance of Jesus in offering the fullness of of God to us. And that is what we focus on today. We will focus our attention on verse 4 of chapter 5, when the Bible says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. In other words, those who are broken over the brokenness in the world. Those who are broken over the brokenness in the world. Blessed are those who mourn. The poverty that is experienced in so many corners of our planet and even in some of our communities, even this day. The racism that continues to be a reality because of sin all across the globe, in this country and others, racism is a reality. The abuse of the vulnerable, aged populations around us and the terrible stories that continue to, to be shared and recorded about how uh, many of the aged around us are taken advantage of. Human trafficking, uh, many estimates say that it has never been higher than it is today. That human slavery has never been at a, a higher, more fevered, more uh, content-rich reality than it is today. There have never been more people on the planet enslaved than they are today by many estimates. Holding Orphan babies, I remember doing that in Uganda, watching the, the needs of these, these child, uh, parentless children and holding them and, and participating and sharing briefly in a ministry to help with that broken part of the world around us. You know, these are the types of people that come around Jesus in this moment. Those who had suffered personal pain and, and loss are the ones who come to Jesus, the ones who recognize Jesus as the one who can bring something unique and something that they most desperately need into their life that is the ultimate of healing. You know, this church has experienced the sting of death over the past 14 months or so. As we have said farewell to Al Viviana and Carolyn McCallion, Ann Smith, Carol Jackson, 
Jerry Stubblefield, and Ernestine Patterson. Our church is acquainted with grief and mourning in these recent months together. The families of our church have experienced the reality of mourning and grief, knowing the sting of death and, and how it shatters the reality of life. And we know that death, it, it, there's something wrong because death is in the world and it points us to some higher reality and that opens us to understanding the sinful world in which we live. You see, brokenness, brokenness in the world is not, it's not an indictment on God. Instead, brokenness in the world, what it does is it highlights the goodness of God and His grace, and it does it in this way, is that God, in spite of the brokenness, God penetrates the calamity caused by human sin, caused by my sin and your sin. And God calls us, He calls us into healing, He calls us into renewal and restoration that comes through and only through Jesus. That's why it was such good news when Jesus shows up and begins to preach and gives this message of calling of repentance and of entering into his kingdom. It's an invitation to be with him. This is why our church and our new mission statement is a focus on our calling for in and beyond to live in the fullness of the life that God calls us into through Jesus. This is what makes it good news. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's about God's kingdom and the door to the kingdom being thrown wide open because of Jesus. If we were to look at Luke chapter 4, we would find uh, this introduction of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, the way Luke unfolds the story. You've got the birth narrative of Jesus. You come to his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. And then right after that, we, we find these verses that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you get what Jesus is doing in that introduction of himself as the way Luke unrolls it? He's going back to a messianic passage of the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, talking about when, when God would come and, and institute his kingdom on earth in a fuller way, a more full way, that the Messiah would come and, and provide this, and Jesus is identifying himself as the one who can come and step into the brokenness, come and step into the pain, come and step into uh, the harrowed realities of, of many of our lives, and he wants to bring renewal and restoration and healing and salvation. That is what Jesus does. You see, grief, the grief of life's pain, 
It does more than just merely leave us bruised. Right? You know what it is to be bruised in your life, bruised in your relationships with others, bruised when people have treated you poorly. Uh, You've been bruised when work experiences didn't turn out. You've been bruised when dreams that you focused on for many years, perhaps, have fallen and crumbled into a, a heap on the floor, never to be taken up again. You know what it is to have life's bruises, and the grief of the pain of those is intended more than just to leave us with bruise, with bruised life. You see, grief, it points us to a reality of our personal brokenness with God, before God. And it highlights our personal sin. But this is why it becomes good news, you see. Is that it's in spite of this that Jesus has stepped into the world. It's in spite of the brokenness of the separation with God that Jesus now comes and into the broken realities of our life, into uh, the, the damaged places of our life, Jesus enters and calls us to himself and calls us into the kingdom of God so that we can live the fullness of the life God has for us. You see, this recognition, this recognition of pain and the brokenness, not just in the world around us, but the brokenness in my own life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, The Apostle Paul writes to that church, he says, Your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. You see, the pain of life and the recognition of the brokenness within myself, it prepares me to look at Jesus and to to know what he's offering really is good news. Leon Morris, who's becoming one of my favorite uh, uh, Bible scholars, uh, he he passed away a few years ago, Australian by by birth. He says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, that it is in grieving over what is wrong in us It is in grieving what is wrong in us that leads us to repentance, not just to the world's problems, which we know are rampant and many and plentiful and manifold, but it's also recognizing the brokenness in our own lives, turning away from that sin and laying it down at the foot of the cross and giving it over to God and in exchange for our sinfulness, what do we get? Something we don't deserve. It's an unequal exchange with God because God gives us far more. (laughs) He's giving us something good for something broken and ruined and spoiled. We give Him our sin and He gives us His grace and forgiveness, a new life, a restored life, a new perspective on how to live. That is why it is good news, and that is why when the crowds gather around Jesus, these broken people, the people in need of healing, he is the one who comes and speaks over them and says, blessed are you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. In Isaiah chapter 53, the scripture says, Uh, about Jesus, about the Messiah talking. He he says, surely the Messiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. If you're at home today, I know you're watching somewhere today, can you just say hallelujah to that reality? Hallelujah is a simple Hebrew expression of saying praise God, God be praised, hallelujah, for the fact that God would place on Jesus your sin and my sin. And in our recognizing of it, and in our receiving of the forgiveness that he offers and the redemption that he gives, it becomes good news. We become part of his family and entrance into his kingdom. You see, Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that the power of sin over you and me might be broken. Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that the power of sin over you, the power that separates you from God, that too might be broken because of the gift of Jesus and his death on the cross for you and in your place. The Bible says, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They will be comforted. Uh, when Jesus, in that Luke 4 passage that we looked at earlier, when he announces that he is the Messiah, and he's alerting that he reads that passage out of Isaiah, and he rolls it up and says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. There, there's a part that, that's not uh, of that verse, Isaiah 61, that's not... Uh, uh, shared in Luke 4, and it begins this way. He says that he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Binding up is, is a way of expressing putting a bandage on something. It, it's a way of holding together that which is broken so that it can be healed and repaired again. That is the role of the Messiah, to come into broken lives and to bring a sense of Comfort. Now, we have two boys in our home. I grew up uh, rough and tumble in my life as well. And our family has discovered over the years the importance of stitches and staples to hold a broken body together. You know what I'm talking about? When you have a cut that is so deep and gaping that a simple band-aid won't fix it, and you need sutures to literally tie your skin together. That is having a wound that is bound up, a wound that is wrapped up and held together because it's healing. It is healing. The Messiah comes into the world. Jesus comes to the world because part of his calling is to bind up the brokenhearted, to take those who mourn and to provide comfort to them and that is what the gospel of Jesus does. It is binding up the wounds. That's what comfort does. Comfort holds us. Comfort steadies us. Comfort is the reality of God sitting with us, holding us. There was a, a moment a few years ago up at Northgate Mall here in Brick County. Regularly each week there's a group of adults who are developmentally challenged and they, they come to the mall and uh, to the food court and they have some time there with their uh, chaperones from their, their residence. And as they were there, there was one, one, of, uh, one of the residents there who had his coupon uh, for a restaurant and a free cup of coffee. 
And as he, he got his cup of coffee and, and he walked out, the rain began to pour as they were as a group leaving. And as he walked out on the sidewalk, but he, the cup of coffee somehow slipped out of his hands and tumbled down on the ground. This one thing that he seemed so excited to, to get and to enjoy was now uh, spilled out all over the increasingly wet sidewalk. Not wet with just coffee, but wet because the rains were falling. And he sat down in the coffee, so distraught with, with this, this heartbreak that he had in this moment, and just began to cry. As the rains poured down, he sat in this puddle of coffee and cried. And you know, one of his, the chaperones came and uh, just simply sat down with him in that puddle of coffee. Sat down with him as the rains came down, reached out his arms, and held that man weeping for this desire that was no more for him. That is just what comfort does for us. It is God coming and sitting in the coffee with your life. It is God coming and binding up your broken heart. It is God coming and and helping you recognize your personal sin and the the personal grief of your life and and inviting you to let him forgive that, to let him release you from that and to set you free. That is his goal and desire. You see, Jesus is the one who walks with you in your pain. Jesus is the one who cries with you as you mourn. Jesus is the one who holds you and binds up your broken heart. In John chapter 11, there's a familiar passage about Lazarus. And, uh, Lazarus was known to Jesus. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus had died. He'd been buried in a tomb. And when we think about John chapter 11 in the story, we often think about the, the wonder of what it is that after several days in the tomb, Jesus chooses to raise Lazarus up from the dead. But I want us to focus on what happened just before that moment, because I want you to see I want us to see today about how Jesus cries and weeps with us in the midst of our brokenness because he is holding you and comforting you. On Jesus' arrival, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. See, I think that Jesus is weeping more than just for his own sense of pain at the loss of his friend Lazarus. I believe that Jesus is entering into the pain and the grief of those others who are also mourning at the loss of a brother, a friend, uh, whoever he was in relation to them. You see, Jesus comes, and, and in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your grief as you mourn, God wants to come and encircle you with his presence and to sit in the coffee with you and, and to put out his arms and to hold you to himself and to let you know that he is near because he loves you and he loves you enough to go and to exchange his life on the cross so that he can give you the fullness of the beauty of his life in exchange for the ugliness of the brokenness and the grief and and the sin of your life, and he wants to exchange that with you if you would just give him your, your life and you would, you would confess your sin to him and you would invite him in to forgive you and to say, yes, I want to walk with you in obedience for the rest of my days because I know that it's only with you, Jesus, that I will ever experience the fullness of the life that you have called me into because you are good. Hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah, today. And I want you to know as we wrap up this morning, this day, <clears throat> that there is an ultimate comfort to come. That uh, this, this is talking about also a future idea that those, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There, I believe there's a sense that, that it is now already happening, but there's also a sense that it's not yet fully happened. And the Bible does point to the day in the future. We don't know when. We're not supposed to know when, but there's a promise by God that there's a day in the future that he knows that he will say, all right, it's time, and everything as we know it will come to a screeching halt, and Jesus will come back, and at that time, the Bible says at the very end of the book, it says these words, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is the promise of God for the future. This is the promise for all of those who have given their life fully and completely in trust to follow Jesus and to learn to walk in obedience with Him, joyful 
obedience and surrender over to Him their life, to let Him have His way in them, to transform your heart, to transform the way you think about your life, and to let you become the fullness of what God envisions for your life being as Jesus takes up residence increasingly in your life. Brother and sister, I pray and hope today, if you're hearing my voice, that you indeed have come to a place in your life where you have uh, recognized the, the reality of the brokenness, not just in the world, but uh, you've allowed that. God has sparked that to uh, alert you to the brokenness in your own life, that which separates you from God, the sin of your life, and that you've come to a place where you've confessed that sin to God and you've invited Him to come and cleanse you and to make you right again with Him, to let you walk with Him for the rest of your life, to give you the promise of the filling of the fullness that He wants for you. And I pray for you today that if you've not ever made that, that uh, profession of faith, that you might do it today. I encourage you this day, do not let the sun go down this day without reaching out to your small group leader, perhaps calling and reaching out to one of the staff members of the church and to say, I really want to be sure that I have, uh, I have confessed my sin, that I know what it is to give my life fully and completely in trust to Jesus and that I'm walking in faithful obedience to Him. If you're not certain about that, I want to invite you to reach out to your group leader, to reach out to your deacon, to reach out to a staff person. And let us know, because there is nothing we would delight more in than helping you uh, uh, in, in sit with the Lord and to talk about these things and invite you into some prayer to engage your life and your heart with the living God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Living God, thank you for your great promise. Thank you for your great presence in our life. And that you do put your arms around us in the midst of our brokenness. And you've come to cleanse and to heal us from our sin. To call us into the fullness of your life, Jesus. Thank you for this great invitation. And help us to live fully in it. Accepting no counterfeits and not delaying. Today, Lord, if we hear your voice, let us not delay. But let us eagerly respond with gratitude. We pray now in the name and in the power of the Messiah, the one who comes to bind up our broken hearts and to lead us into the full life with you. Guide us now, we pray, Jesus. Amen.